Hello, you're listening to the podcast of Bay Ridge Christian Church. Each Sunday, our aim is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ from the text of the Bible and to catalyze the hearts of our hearers to love and gratitude towards God and all of His creation. We hope you enjoy this teaching, and we pray that you will be encouraged to trust in Jesus today. Today's text is going to be Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6. Text will be Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. And you can follow along up on the screens. I'll be reading from the New International Version. We also have the text on the cards you were given uh, when you came in where you can also take some notes. I encourage you to follow along uh, in your scriptures. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Hear now the words of the living God. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? One of my favorite depictions of a character happens in the uh, book trilogy, The Lord of the Rings, or some of you may have seen the movie. And in that story, as part of the background, there was a hobbit, these little kind of small human-like creatures, named Smeagol. And he finds this ring one day when they are out fishing, and he covets the ring. He desires it. And in fact, he desires it so strongly that he gets in a fight with another hobbit, and he kills him for the ring. And he starts to refer to the ring as his precious And he's always rubbing it. My precious. I wish I had my son John up here to do it because it's freaky how good he can sound. Like I used to sleep with like one eye open when he would start doing that. But what happens is this hobbit, Smeagol, becomes what looks to be an entirely different creature, Gollum. By the end, the, the ring which seems to have such promise for him, never satisfies, but what it actually does is it consumes him and he deforms him so people aren't even sure what kind of creature he is. He bears virtually no resemblance to what he had been at the beginning. He seems to have been deformed into something completely different. And this was J.R.R. Tolkien's way of depicting to us what greed does us and how when we are not content but rather go to the opposite we we partake of that root vice of greed how it deforms us so today since we just went through thanksgiving i want to talk about and ask the question how do we shape a contented rather than a greedy soul You and I are shaping our souls. This is flowing out of the gospel. We're going to conclude with the gospel this morning because we're going to see that this is the overflow of the gospel. But as those who've been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, we are called to shape our souls in a way that is in accord with the truth rather than with error. And that would be shaping a contented soul rather than a greedy soul. But how do we do that? So let's dive into our text. Now, This text is a call to commitment. 
you and I are given a call by God that we are to be contented. Notice here in verse 5, it says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content. Now, this is a little bit harder. You might look at this and say, well, which is more important? Which is the root thing? But in the Greek, it's very clear. The verbal aspect in the sentence is the command, be content. And actually, the idea of keeping your lives free from the love of money or, or not being greedy is not the command. It's really the way that you accomplish the command. It hangs off of the command to be content with what you have. And so don't love money is not really the command. It's actually just the path by which you get to fulfilling the command. The command is be content. But you can't be content if you are greedy and loving money. Now, how we do this and what is shown in this text is very similar to what we talked about last week. We're, we're kind of in these standalone teachings, but there's a little bit of a mini-series here. And last week, you remember, we looked at this idea from Ephesians chapter 4 that there are always three parts to what God is calling us to do. First, put one thing off, put off a vice or a sin. Secondly, put on a virtue, a righteous practice. And then thirdly, be renewed in our mind and in our spirit so that the virtues we're trying to practice become who we are. And we are changed over time so that our desires line up with the practices. But it's always in that order. You put off, you put on and begin the practices, and only then do the desires come. I spoke last week very much about how our culture has that backwards. We want the desires first, but God says that's not the way it happens. You do the practice first, and then the desires will follow. So let's dive into what these three steps are. Now, if you notice here in verses 5 and 6, he begins with the put off, which is the beginning of verse 5. He says, keep your lives free from the love of money. Okay, and this love of money is actually greed. And so he's saying... Before you can talk about putting on a contented soul, before you can talk about shaping it, you have to first put off greed. And the central form of greed that he identifies here is the love of money. Now, now let's be clear. The love of money does not mean that I hold up in our culture those little green rectangular pieces of cloth and say, oh, my precious, I want that. Why do we want money? Because of what money can get us. It's, it's not the money itself, it's what the money we think is going to give us. Possessions, power, fame, we think it can purchase people, or ultimately we think it's going to bring us security. And so we look to money for that. But at its root, what we're talking about here is greed. And so where he's talking about loving money, he's really talking about the root vice of greed. And I'm calling it a root vice because root vices, and we're going to spend a lot of time in our lead up to Easter this year talking about this, root vices are the underlying ways that we are shaped that blossom into all kinds of other sins. And so the root vice is very important because you can keep cutting the individual sins off, but as long as that root's there, it's going to keep nourishing and sin's going to keep popping up. And greed or love of money is a root vice. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, the Apostle Paul writes to his young protege Timothy and says this, People who want to get rich fall into temptation 
and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So notice here verse 10 tells us that the love of money or greed is a root of all kinds of evil. For this reason, the early church, when it actually identified seven or eight, depending on who you looked at, root vices, greed was one of them. Because they had a biblical text right here that said greed is a root of all kinds of other sins. It is the root of all kinds of other evil. And so notice in verse 9, Paul says, the desire to get rich leads us into many temptations which plunge us into destruction. Paul says, look, if you have a desire, if your soul is a greedy soul, you can know that is going to lead you into the path of temptation. It is going to lead you into a path that you are going to find yourself with desires and things that are going to plunge you, he tells us, into ruin and destruction. Now, if you knew this, if you're walking down the road and there's a fork in the road and one sign says, you know, blessing and good times, and the other one says ruin and destruction, most of us are bright enough to say, I'm not going to follow the path of ruin and destruction. But see, here's the problem. It doesn't advertise itself that way. And we live in a culture that actually, in the words of Gordon Gecko from the movie uh, years ago, Bonfire of the Vanity, says, greed is good. It's how we are shaped. Our culture is shaping you and me to be greedy, non-contented people. But Paul says that is the path to ruin and destruction. Now, the reason that this is the case is because you're, when you're chasing after greed, you're going to have to do other things to try and fulfill that desire. But what happens is greed deforms you and I just like it did Smeagol. It changes us into seemingly different people because suddenly that which we would have never thought we were capable of to fulfill greed we suddenly find ourselves not only thinking we could do it, but actually doing it. And this is because greed can never be satisfied. It promises joy and it promises satisfaction, but they never come. And what actually happens is in chasing the joy and satisfaction that greed is promising, yet never is there, we're always one step further down the path of ruin and destruction, and we ultimately become deformed so that we don't even realize who we are. If you want to think of some Old Testament examples, think of what it's like with Balaam, the prophet, who suddenly, when he's promised some money, keeps going and keeps going, and he becomes crazed in his lust for money so that God actually has to speak to him through a donkey to try and arrest the prophet's madness. And even then, Balaam still tells him, here's how, look, I had to speak the word of God, but here's a way you can still get Israel in trouble. Greed deformed even the prophet's soul. And so the soul that is shaped by greed will lie, it will cheat, it will steal, it will sacrifice relationships with other people 
all in the attempt to get what it thinks is going to bring joy and satisfaction. I, I wouldn't normally do this, but if I can just get this, then, I, then I'm going to have what I need. Then things are going to be the way that I want them to be. And so to get that, I wouldn't have normally lied, and I'm not even going to call it a lie right now. I'm just going to cover things up a little. I'm just not going to quite state the way that it is. And I, I normally would not treat someone this way, but I need this other thing, and this person's in the way. And so suddenly what happens is we are transformed in who we are. And here's the great danger. The soul shaped by greed is a black hole for joy and contentment. Can never be satisfied. You understand? In physics, what a black hole is. It sucks everything around it into it. Everything is collapsing into it. Light can't come out of it. There's nothing. It is just a hole. And a soul that is shaped by greed is a black hole for the very joy and satisfaction that the greed is promising. It's never enough. We're going to talk a lot more about greed in one of those weeks in the spring, but that's where you see why there's such a warning here. Because the joy and satisfaction you and I were made for, we were made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And a soul shaped by greed can do neither. The second thing we're told, however, is it's not enough to put off greed. We must put on contentment and put on the practices of contentment, which are going to shape us. So notice in verse 5b, the second part of it, we're told you put off the greed, the love of money, and be content with what you have. So after we put off greed, we put on contentment. And these two are polar opposites. This Virtue of contentment is the opposite of greed's never satisfied desire. Greed is never satisfied with what it has. Contentment is always satisfied with what it has. So they are polar opposites. And in fact, they are so opposite that uh, the, the reason that they're so opposite is because greed and contentment are not based on what things we possess, but on the condition of our soul. That there, it's, it's about what's going on in the soul, not about what we have with our hands. Now, the reason we can say this is the Apostle Paul, again, I'll turn to his words. In Philippians chapter 4, the, the great apostle is writing from a Roman jail cell. Now, please understand, Roman jails are not like our jails. They did not provide three square meals a day. How did you get food? Someone brought it to you. Because they said, well, you're in jail. We have no reason that we're going to support you. So you have to have somebody else have it. So, so there is an ever-present danger in jail of complete sacrifice and lack. And yet the apostle writes this to the Philippians. Chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me 
strength. Notice, boy, you want to talk about a misused verse, Philippians 4.13. Because everybody wants to talk about it, and what we think it means is, I can get everything that I want. It's the exact opposite of that. What Paul's saying is, if you took everything away from me, and I was naked and starving, I can be content, because I'm in Christ. And I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. So notice here Paul tells us his contentment did not arise from circumstances, but rather his relationship to Christ. And secondly, Paul tells us if you can't be content with little, you'll never find contentment no matter how much you possess. See, Paul says, I've learned the secret to being content, whether I've got plenty or whether I'm hungry. Paul, in other places, actually refers to it that there's kind of, sometimes he fasted, and sometimes he fasted because there was nothing to eat, and he had neither. And you can read Paul's catalog of what his life was like, and yet he says he found contentment. Because the soul shaped by contentment will find joy in God and in the gifts he gives us rather than longing for what it does not have. A contented soul says, whatever my lot, whatever God has given me, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. I am content because I have God and he is more than enough. So greed and contentment are not based on our external circumstances. They're not based on what we possess. Rather, they are based on the shape of our souls. Now, the end of this, that, that leads us to the end, which is the renewal that goes on inside of us if we put off greed and we put on contentment is that we are renewed knowing that God is with us and he is enough. Notice how the, the writer turns to this at the end of verse 5 and in verse 6 when he tells us, do this, put off greed, put on contentment because, here's why you are to do this, God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The basis for this is the continuing presence of God. It is nothing other than the promises of the gospel. We should not be surprised. Everything always springs from the gospel. Our contentment is a contentment based on God's gracious promises and presence that come to us through the gospel. And so the secret of contentment is not trying to see what we possess differently, but in seeing that God himself is with us and he's sufficient. It's not trying to look and say, well, I don't have much food today, but in my mind's eye, I'm imagining that my, my plate is heaped up. That's not how you get to contentment. It's recognizing no matter how much is on my plate, God is with me. And God is more than enough. It's not looking at my old Hyundai and saying, that thing's a fine Mercedes. It's recognizing that contentment does not arise whether I have a Hyundai or a Mercedes. Contentment arises because God is with me. He will never leave me. 
he will never forsake me, and he is more than enough. He is sufficient. So our minds have been renewed. The end of this process is our minds are renewed when we know that our security and our satisfaction lies not in what we possess, but in who possesses us. It's not what you possess that brings contentment, but knowing I'm possessed by God. And if he possesses me in a world that does not know him, and let me be blunt, in a world where billions don't even have access to the gospel, they can't gather and hear the word of God. There is no local church in their context or area. They are perishing without that. And we recognize then, I not only have that, I am possessed by God. He has saved me. He has called me. He has made me his own. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and that is more than enough. And so notice the writer here tells us that no matter our circumstances, God has not and will not ever abandon us so we can be content in our present. In this moment, I can be content because God is with me. But he moves on in verse 6 and tells us, no matter what the future may hold, God will be with us and help us so we can be content in the future. I can be content in my present and I can be content in my future because God is with me. He never will leave or forsake me. And therefore, no matter what anyone else would do, I can have contentment. Because all of this is secured for us by Christ and given to us in the gospel. In just a couple of verses, the most famous verse in Hebrews 13 is the uh, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the gospel writer is telling us, look, because you have Jesus, he does not change. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. And he has secured all of God's covenant promises for you. But the fact is, again, to, to kind of go back to what we talked about last week, you and I will not reach the stage. How many of you know it's one thing to say this, it's another to walk this out? Okay? See, I know y'all are all sitting there saying, wow. Okay, well, so am I. Okay? Because I can find myself being very discontent. This is that process. Okay? This is part of sanctification. But friends, we will never reach a stage where we are living this out. And where in our soul, our soul says, God is more than enough. We won't reach that if we don't put off greed and put on contentment. It won't just happen that one day we will wake up and say, God's more than enough. We have to actually put off and put on. So the rest of the time today, I'm going to do applying the word here and talk about shaping a contented soul and what that means, how we put off and how we put on. So the first question for us then is, how can I put off greed and its practices this month? In the high holy American calendar, we are entering the high holy days of greed. Is it not true? Okay. Black Friday is aptly named because it's a black hole that will suck your joy and contentment right away. Our entire culture is calling you. The second you leave here, it's going to greet you at the back doors and it's going to call you and me to an orgy 
of dissatisfaction and greed for the coming month. We'll tell you greed is good. We'll tell you greed will give joy and satisfaction. And if you can just get the newest and latest and brightest and best, you will sit back and say, my soul is content. That is the gospel it will proclaim to you this month. So what are some practices to put this off? Because you're not going to get to being satisfied in God if we don't do the practices first. It's the way God has made the universe. So what are some practices? Here's just a couple to think of. Number one, determine you're going to have the practice over this next month to not go into debt in an orgy of spending. Because all that's going to do is ensure the black hole extends out into the future. So make a determination right at the beginning. If I can't afford it, I don't need it. I'm not going to go into debt over this. Because see, it's, it's not just an issue. I'm not trying to be legalistic about debt. What I'm trying to say is what our culture is doing is saying, look, this is so valuable. It's going to deliver on its promises so well. It's even worth hocking out your future. Amen. But it's not. It won't do it. That thing that looks so shiny, everybody lines up for hours and hours and hours to get the latest iPhone or Google Pixel or whatever the heck it is, or the latest Xbox or the latest this or the latest that, and then they discover, I'm no more content than I was before. I'm just in debt. Determine now, don't do it. It's not what the season's about. Secondly, if you really want to do it, Limit your time looking for sales and shopping. See, this is, this is the practices. You know, like, you know, desert monks had practices they went through. Here's the practices of the religion of consumerism. Spend your time and your energy looking for that sale. Because if I can save five bucks, I will be content. No, you won't. No, you won't be content. Or if I can just go stand in line long enough. I'm going to say something and it will be shocking, but I really want you to do I remember the first time I heard this in seminary years ago. And I thought the guy was a little bit crazy. So now you can do that with me. Amazon and the mall are pagan temples. And shopping is the liturgy shaping your souls to worship possessions rather than God. How many of you have ever been in a pagan temple? Everybody in here. Because if you've been in a mall, you've been in a pagan temple. It's to the god Mammon. Remember, Jesus talked about him. Money is a god. Make no mistake, it is a rival god. And the mall, there, there's a Christian theologian, uh, James K.A. Smith, he goes through and shows that there are cultural liturgies and his prime example is the mall and shows it's got its own gospel, complete with the problem is not sin, the problem is what you don't have. But there's good news. We sell it for you. And when you get this, you will be content. Your need will have been met. And they have a whole series of practices to reinforce that. And what's happening is it's shaping my soul so that my soul worships stuff rather than the Savior. 
Beware of that false god. Third, limit your time looking um, for, for sales and shopping, both total time and also restricting certain days. I've said, you know, kind of beware of that and, and watch out doing it. But both just determine, I'm not going to spend endless hours online looking for this stuff or going down there and doing it. And there are certain days I'm not going to do it at all. God actually had a day he set aside at creation called Sabbath where the people were not allowed to engage in such things. Let me encourage you to practice that. Sunday's a great day. You could pick a different day and just say, I'm not going to do it. It's just not going to happen. I'm not going to find myself on Christmas Eve saying, but I didn't get a gift and so I got to run down it. Not going to do it. There are days. That's why God actually designed things like Sabbath. They were speed bumps. You can only get going so fast. You can only get so sucked into greed because there's a speed bump and it stops you. It slows you down. That's why God put practices like that in our way. So determine to do that. And then finally, positively work to train our kids to value people more than things. Because we're in a culture that, that values things and uses people. That's who we are. And what we do is we teach them. At the very season that the church is focusing and celebrating on God coming and giving what we could never purchase, we've turned it into an orgy of trying to hope I get all this stuff. Don't make it about that. Teach the kids what's important is people. Because people are forever, stuff is not. Okay, so that's putting off. How do I put on contentment this month? Because it's not enough. You know, remember Paul in Ephesians 4 said, stop stealing, start working, and then be so shaped in your soul that you're willing to give to others. Well, we put off greed, we have to put on contentment or else we're just a house swept clean and seven demons worse than the first one are going to come in. So how do we put on contentment? Um, so let me give some practices to try and do this month. First, consciously give thanks to God each day for what he's already given you. You know what you and I deserve as rebels to the king? See, what we deserve, we were, we were praying through Psalm 103 the other day at a, at a pastor's prayer meeting, and I was just struck, I was remembering Jonathan Edwards' sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where he talked about how sin was so inside of us that it was like the fires of hell trying to burst forth at every moment to consume us under the wrath that we so justly deserve. That's what you and I deserve. But God in the gospel has been gracious to us. And Paul tells us if we have food and clothing, we should be content with that. How much more do you and I have than food and clothing? And yet, we don't consciously give thanks. And so I'm not just saying, yeah, well, you know, I'm thankful for it. I mean every day, verbally, give thanks to God. What goes without saying should be said. And the practice of saying it, of beginning by telling God that consciously, and not just quickly raffling it off, but but stating it, thinking about it, and speaking and being specific has an amazing effect of shaping our soul. Secondly, 
consciously live in the present moment rather than focusing on a future time. See, we, we again, what this whole season teaches us to do is spend the entire time thinking about that brief moment on Christmas morning when we're going to wake up, and we ignore the present moment. And that is a mistake. Thirdly, consciously live in the present place rather than focusing on somewhere else. See, our culture is shaping us to always be thinking about somewhere else. I listened to a fascinating interview on a podcast named Hidden Brain where they were talking about the effect of social media on us. And they have done all kinds of research that shows social media actually makes people less happy. Okay? So every time we click on Facebook, what we're basically saying is make me less happy. Now, the funny thing is everybody's aware that the lives people are portraying in social media are not the way their lives actually are. That's not what makes us less happy. They've come up with an acronym for what makes us less happy, and it's called FOMO, the fear of missing out. And so they had people who were like off on exotic vacations, would check Facebook, see their friends doing something they did every single week, and suddenly their joy in the exotic vacation sank. But the funny thing is, if you ask them, so would you rather be back there with your friends? Well, no, obviously this is far better than what they're doing. But somehow, my mind is now somewhere other than where I'm actually at, and it reduces the joy in where I actually am, and our contentment. So, this is why it tends to make us unhappy, because we're always focused on somewhere else. We're another time, we're another place. And finally, we can put on contentment by focusing on the joy of the people God has placed in your life. The family, the friends, and the church. Focus on giving thanks for who they are, not on what they're not. Amen. See, it's so easy. Man, I can list. Well, here's what they're not. And if you do that, you'll never be content. If you've been around me more than five minutes, you know I love my wife. Okay, I think she's fantastic. I've been with her 34 years. I can give you a laundry list of things she's not. And I've now recognized 34 years into this, I'm bright enough to know, I don't think she's going to become that thing. Okay? You know what putting on contentment looks like? Every day saying, I thank you for who she is. Here's the gift she is to me. And focusing on that rather than what she's not. You know who has more a, a longer list of what's wrong with Bay Ridge Christian Church than anybody else in this room? Honestly. Me. I, I've been here for a long time. I know problems you don't even know are here. And so I can become extremely discontented. Or I can focus on what is good and what is right 
and what a gift and a joy each of you are to me. Which am I going to put on? And I would encourage you to go a step further. Express to those people that are around you, your family, your friends, your church, express to them why you're grateful. And I don't just mean I'm grateful for you. Tell your spouse, this is what I love about you. Tell your friends, here's why you are a gift of God to me. Here is why I thank God for you. After I'd already gotten this teaching completed, I heard that there's apparently a play off-Broadway right now, and and I'm not recommending because I haven't seen it, but I love the title of it. It's Now Hear This. But here is not H-E-A-R, but H-E-R-E. Focus on now, not then. Focus on here, not there. Focus on this that I have, not that that I don't. But see, our culture tells you, focus on then, not now. Focus on there, not here. Focus on what you don't have rather than what you do. But to do that is to shape my soul for greed. It's a black hole, never be filled. But if we will focus on where God has us now, what is going on here, and what we already have, and who the people we already are with are, we will find that shaping us. And then what that leads to is that final stage, which is contentment. So how do I find contentment in God rather than things? Because the goal in all of this is a soul that is so shaped that it finds its deepest joy and contentment in God. That's the ultimate point of all of this. This is why Paul was content and full of joy even though he struggled with poor health, even though he was wrongly accused, had been placed in jail, and had no possessions. When I meditate on who Paul was and what he was going through, it's challenging because i got to be honest. I don't think I'd have been singing hymns of praise with him and Silas. I'd have been moaning and whining. And if I was in the jail there with the Philippians, I think I'd have been telling him, you all should pity me. Look at what I'm going through. But that, that's not who he was because he's been putting off greed. He's been putting on contentment for so long. He has a soul that's shaped that says, no matter what you do, it can't remove Christ from me. So I can be a sheep counted for slaughter. It does not matter because I have God. And more importantly, God has me. And that is more than enough. And so some practices to help continue shaping our soul that way real briefly and we'll close. When you find your soul being lured by other things, and you're going to find your soul being lured by other things, because it's the high holy days of greed. When you find that happening, confess it to God. And say, God, give me joy in you. I don't want that to be my joy. Because even if I get that thing, it's going to go away. It's not going to deliver consciously confess and ask God. Secondly, I want to encourage you to be reading the the devotional that we're doing, Behold the Lamb of God. We're starting that devotional again this week. And let the marvel of the gospel shape your soul. 
A book's going through all of Scripture, all the places God has been working this out for thousands of years. And, and the very title, Contentment Comes from Beholding the Lamb of God. Because unlike greed, which ever promises and never delivers, Jesus more than delivers. You will never plumb the depths of who Jesus is and say, well, I reached the end of it. That's it. Wow, that's all there is, huh? That will never happen. The more you know him and are known by him, the more your joy and satisfaction grows in him. That's the great thing. The more a soul is shaped by greed, the smaller and smaller and smaller it becomes, the less capacity for joy it has. But the more we find our contentment in God, the greater our soul becomes, the greater capacity for joy it has, and we find that he is always more than that capacity. And so it becomes a never-ending growth in joy that is actually what will go on for eternity. Third, I would encourage you during this season to spend more time listening to worship music, especially songs that are related to the coming of Christ. Okay? I typically, you know, during December starting next Sunday, I listen to a lot of songs that are about the coming of Jesus. I listen to a lot of quote-unquote Christmas music because it's a focus on who God is and what he's done. And I'd encourage you to make that a conscious thing because it keeps reorienting our soul. And I can't stress this enough. It's not neutral time. It's high holy days to shape your soul the wrong way. Please don't give in to that. And then finally, spend time daily in God's presence and express verbally that he's enough. There's an amazing thing that happens as we are before him and we are talking with him and we express things that are true even if I'm not feeling them right now it has an amazing capacity and ability to be shaping who I am and I, I begin the time thinking he's not enough I gotta have this trinket I'm really want but as I state the truth that he is there and he is enough and I focus on the glory of the gospel, by the end of the time I find out I don't really care whether I have the trinket or not. He is actually enough. Unfortunately, my soul leaks. And tomorrow I find myself back at the same place. But the good news is his mercies are new every morning. And so we come back every day to do that. So I want to encourage us this is an overflow of the gospel. This is rooted in the gospel. And the good news is, again, the gospel is not just about what was past. God, please hear me. God is so uh, given to his glory being your joy that your capacity for joy can grow and grow and grow. You can experience depths of joy. I can experience depths of joy that we didn't even know we had the capability for but only if we shape our soul to be content with God and not stuff. Let's go ahead and we're going to stand together and close in prayer. And as we're doing so, I want to encourage you. If the Lord has brought anything to your mind, specifically, or even if it's just general, Let's take it to God. Let's talk to him and ask him to shape us this way.
Father, every age and every culture, even every soul, has its own particular temptations. And Lord, if there has ever been a culture that is shaped by greed, it is us. Lord, I've never seen an advertisement that told me this thing was optional, I didn't really need it, and that I'd probably be just as well off without it. Lord, we sell everything by discontent, by a need for more. Father, I even remember after 9-11, one of our national things was to pull out our credit cards and let's spend our way out of this problem. Father, it's who we are. It's how we operate. And Lord, we are heading into the days where it is stressed more than any other time of the year. But Jesus, we, for your glory and our good and the commendation of the gospel to our neighbors, Lord, we want to be different than that. Lord, we want to be people in the midst of a culture of greed that are a people of contentment. And so, Father, we pray for our own good that our souls would be shaped to be content. That we would learn whatever we have or whatever we don't, whatever is going on around us, that we are content with this. Father, that we are a people who are focused on now, not then. Here, not there. And this that we have rather than that that we don't. Father, would you do that for our good? Would you make it so that our souls are an ever-expanding universe of joy rather than a collapsing black hole that would suck it away? And Father, would you do this not only for our joy, but Father, would you do it for your glory? Would it be a testimony to our neighbors that true joy, true contentment is found in God? That, Father, you are not an optional extra, a little garnish on the plate. Father, you are the feast for which our soul longs. You are the reason that we have been made. Father, would you help us in ways small and big to shape our souls that way? And as we do so, Father, I pray that you would be glorified. I pray perhaps the lost would marvel and look to you for the first time. And Father, I pray it would be deep, abiding joy for us as your people. Lord, I ask that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of Jesus, go in his blessing. Amen. See everyone next week. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.